Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day, they're taking a week. You have too many manual processes. You don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, and one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. Having all of your business's information in one place is a powerful thing because it allows you to make better decisions, which is why NetSuite's unprecedented offer to make this possible is something to take advantage of. Don't wait. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist, designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free, at netsuite.com strange. That's netsuite.com strange to get your own KPI checklist. NetSuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Today, we'd like to talk to you about Arborita. No, not Arbor Day, a.k.a. your eighth favorite holiday, but you're close. We want to talk about trees. Some of us are surrounded by them. Others have to travel to parks to get that full nature fix. But we all know an impressive tree when we see one. Some big or grand or weird. We know there are trees, and then there are famous trees, given names and celebrated for their incredibly long lives or for their colorful history or the landscape around them. In England, there's the ash brittle yew. Experts guess its age at 3,000 to 4,000 years. It's rumored to sit on the burial mound of an ancient dignitary. Or... Maybe you've heard of the 400-year-old Tree of Life, located in a desert in the country of Bahrain. The mesquite is the only tree for miles, standing alone atop a hill. Despite blazing temperatures and dry ground, it's reported to be 32 feet tall. When it comes to big-time trees, the United States is no slouch. In California's Sequoia National Park, there's General Sherman, which is celebrated as the largest tree in the world. The sequoia was certainly named for the Civil War general, but exactly how and why are hotly debated. As with most of its history, America doesn't let accuracy get in the way of a good story. And there's a great story and a great tree down in Athens, Georgia. It's a city in the northern part of the state, 
most famous as home to the University of Georgia and the band R.E.M. We won't mention sports, though that's big down there too. The South is awfully sensitive where football is concerned. In any case, hands down, the most intriguing spot on an Athens sightseeing tour is a little patch of ground at the corner of Finley and Deering Streets. There stands a white oak tree, surrounded by a low stone barrier, encircling the oak and eight feet of the earth that surrounds it. This is the tree that owns itself. In front of it stands a stone plaque that reads, For and in consideration of the great love I bear this tree and the great desire I have for its protection for all time, I convey entire possession of itself and all land within eight feet of the tree on all sides. William H. Jackson. Now, that's a tantalizing historical marker. Colonel William H. Jackson was not a particularly well-known man. His sons, all in the legal field, would go on to be much more notable. But the tree that owns itself has given Colonel Jackson his own small scrap of fame, even 150 years after his death. An 1890 Athens Weekly Banner article is considered the earliest source to reference the tree that owns itself. The headline, which is Deeded to Itself, paints a picture of a great love between a colonel and, well, a tree. The article's unnamed author spared no detail in their retelling of the formative years that William H. Jackson had spent near the tree. Really, it devolves into purple prose pretty quickly. Birds' nests and fleeting youth, the foliage is luxurious, the boughs are magnificent. And the article explains that Colonel Jackson was determined to protect that oak against heartless future developers who'd inevitably chop it down to make room for another build. So, according to the banner, Colonel Jackson went down to City Hall and had a deed drawn up. The author makes reference to that deed with the very quote that, decades later, would be etched on a marker and set in front of the oak. In the 1890 article, the quote is included as proof that the deed existed, even if, according to the reporter, quote, very few even knew about it. How did the reporter come across this fantastic story? He doesn't bother to elaborate. Rather, he presents his audience with a legal puzzle. Can a tree own itself? And if the tree falls, who then inherits the land? With this 1890 article, the tree that owns itself had made its first public appearance, 15 years after Jackson's death. Which is odd because it's a great story, the perfect Southern oddity to spice up tales of Colonel Jackson's life. It should have been passed around, told at parties, shared by friends at his passing. But Jackson's obituary didn't mention the tree. Then again, when he died in 1875, he'd been living further south in Macon. So maybe the tale hadn't traveled with him. Even with the 1890 article, the tree at the corner of Finley and Deering Streets wasn't much remarked on. Athens was actually fonder of the double-barreled cannon that sat outside City Hall. It was an experimental prototype that had never been fired during the Civil War. 
But locals didn't seem to mind the lack of utility. It was certainly more exciting than a tree. Right? Well, all that changed in 1906. The tree that owns itself was mentioned in a book called Annals of Athens, a history text that included just about every important element of town life over the last hundred years. Its author, A.L. Hull, wrote that, quote, However defective this title may be in law, the public recognized it, and this splendid tree is one of the boasts of Athens and will be cared for by the city for many years to come. Thus, the legend took root and continued to spread. A wealthy philanthropist and University of Georgia trustee loved the story so much that he paid for the low stone wall and the plaque. That was 1906, and by then, the words that were engraved on the stone and purported to be from the tree's original deed only existed in reprints of that newspaper article. Now, people claimed to have seen the official papers, but no one actually produced them. And no one much minded those details. The city of Athens included the tree that owns itself in walking tours and celebrations, treating it as a tourist attraction, and eventually worrying over its health. In 1942, the tree was estimated to be centuries old. Currently, the official Athens tourist website gives a figure of 400 years, but other sources list numbers as low as 250. Either way, by 1942, the tree that owns itself seemed elderly, and it was rotting. Though scientists and arborists tried to maintain it, they knew its time was coming and weren't surprised when, one morning, the great oak toppled. Luckily, they'd had a plan in place. As the Athens Tourism website tells it, the Junior Ladies Garden Club and UGA professors had been growing saplings from the tree's acorns, planning for a day when it would need to be replaced. Within a few years of the original oak's collapse, a young tree was in place. And fittingly, that oak is technically known as the son of the tree that owns itself. It was christened by a minister during a citywide ceremony. The tree that owns itself was declared a historic landmark in 1988, and Athens has continued to celebrate the oak. As the Red and Black recently reported, they even go so far as to throw the tree a birthday party. And that would be that, a charming local story in a southern town a staid landmark for tourist photo opportunities. Except for one strange thing. The story of the tree that owns itself seems to be entirely fabricated. Now, maybe that in and of itself isn't so odd. Most websites note the tree's history as legend rather than fact, but the origin of the story itself is peculiar. And that is what leads to the elements that are, well, close to unexplainable. Hey there, strangers. I want to tell you about a podcast that I think you'll like. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. 
On the Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve Deshavi investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from two totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy is a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of a haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. Really, this is the perfect podcast for fans of One Strange Thing. All the paranormal activity that you love and the great research that you've come to rely on. So, listen to The Dead Files, wherever you get your podcasts. A 1966 book, The Tomb's Oak, The Tree That Owned Itself, and Other Chapters of Georgia, tackles the puzzle. It's by E. Merton Coulter. Coulter, a noted historian, spent 40 years as a professor at UGA. Per the New Georgia Encyclopedia, much of Coulter's work was, quote, Confederate apologist in nature and offered a warped take on the war and Reconstruction. At some point, though, he also researched famous Southern trees. When Coulter dug into the tree that owns itself, it became clear to him that the purported facts were either skewed or entirely imagined. The tree existed, of course, and Athenians had been celebrating it for years. There were plenty of photos and postcards to prove that. And Colonel William H. Jackson had lived in Athens, near the tree, but only for a few years. In his adulthood, he certainly hadn't grown up there or sat in its boughs and gazed out into the night or anything else that the Athens Weekly Banner had imagined. The paper had reported that Jackson filed the deed in his old age, worried about the fate of his beloved oak. That was certainly a lovely story, but pesky facts get in the way of its veracity. Jackson was long gone from Athens before his old age and hadn't lived there for decades by the time he died in 1875. And that's hardly the only discrepancy. Coulter also questions whether it would have been possible to file a deed at City Hall at all and if they would have taken such a bizarre document in the first place. It's clear that based on Coulter's research, no one ever saw the deed. Jackson never mentioned the tree, and neither did his family, and it wasn't cited in any biographies following his death. That led Coulter to his conclusion. The story was entirely made up. No tree in Athens, Georgia, had ever really owned itself. 
But if that's true, why had the story been invented? The Jacksons hadn't started the rumor. They may not have even known of the tree's fame or its tie to their family history. However, there is one suspect. Coulter points to an infamous reporter, T. Larry Gant. He edited the Athens Banner in 1890 when the story ran on the paper's front page. Perhaps it had been a very slow news week. Though the article was authorless, Coulter thought it had the feel of Gant. Showy, gutsy. It took a certain level of bravado to fabricate a story about a man whose son was still presiding on Georgia's Supreme Court, even if that man had been dead for 15 years. Of course, there's no proof that Gant wrote the article, but someone at the paper had, and for some reason, they'd chosen Jackson as their protagonist. Perhaps he was a safe choice, having moved away and died years before publication. And he had, in fact, lived close by the corner where the tree stood. But what had given the author the inspiration in the first place? Had he gazed out some window and let his mind wander until landing on an evergreen question? What if a tree owned itself? We can't know for certain. We can't even prove for sure that the deed was a fabrication. Its lack of current existence does not necessarily mean that it never existed, though we'd be very surprised to find out that it had. But maybe it doesn't matter. After all, Athens, Georgia doesn't seem to mind. They settle the problem of the White Oaks ownership by ignoring it completely. They'll take their tree as it is, thank you very much, and let law students over at UGA sweat out the legal puzzle each semester in essay form. After all, how many of the American stories we've learned through the years, taught as truth, might, when examined, unravel in just the same way? We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, plus a full-length bonus episode every month, and plenty of other fun content. We hope you'll check it out. Please stay tuned for a moment to hear a promo from one of our favorite shows. We hope you'll give them a listen. Mens rea, the guilty mind. It's the intent needed to prove certain crimes, such as murder. Join me, your host Sinead, as I explore the stories of missing women, abusive husbands, jealous brothers, and the silence of the Irish countryside. Then follow these stories to the historic buildings of the UK and Ireland for the legal argument to prove guilt. 
Mens Rea releases new episodes every second Sunday. So, for true crime from the Emerald Isle, join me. And until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do.